0: Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Colleen Lawler with Colwell Banker in Chesterfield, Missouri. Last year, she closed 202 transactions with a total sales volume of 68 million. Her average sales price was 336,000, of which 47% were buyers and 53% were sellers. She has a seven-member team, two buyer specialists, one marketing manager, one listing manager, two closing managers, and one team leader. Colleen Lawler is the team leader of the Irvine team. She's been an agent for 30 years and participated in over 1,260 real estate transactions worth over $416 million. In this call, Colleen talks about her slow start and severe call reluctance, gaining traction by hosting open houses and changing the power dynamics by interviewing and selecting visitors to be her clients. Succeeding in Real Estate Sales as a Highly Analytical C on the DISC Personality Profile. How to Use Emotional Intelligence in Negotiations. Why 35% of her business is two-sided move-up and move-down clients. Her golden 200 list that sends the majority of her referrals. Why she gets 70% of her business from friends, family, and past clients. How she hosts and promotes two annual client parties, shredding event and pie giveaway that result in immediate and future business. The fast and easy way to set up a drip email campaign your people will love. How she receives 20% of her business from expired listings, almost without trying. The simple way to get the email address for expired listings. How to get Zillow and Trulia online reviews and the power of the one-star review. How to build a successful team structure with post-it notes. Why her team averages 28 closings per member and 67 closings per agent. Team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Colleen. Hi, how are you? I am great, Colleen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Colleen, before we talk about what you're doing today, Let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate.
1: Well, the reason I got into real estate really was because I was going to sell a house. At that time, I was very happily working as a nurse in a hospital, but I wanted to understand the process better. So I went to a junior college and took the real estate course just so I would know what was going to happen, which is really what most sellers would like to know. I just took it to like an OCD level. Um, I, uh, I didn't even know I had to take a test, and if I took a test, I had to put my license somewhere. That's how how um, unintentional, I guess, I was as I started this process. But what I found, and I was very fortunate to have a... a broker where I placed my license that was wonderful at developing new agents. And what I found in very short order was that a lot of the skill set that I used on the hospital floor were the same skills that real estate required. I had to be able to think on my feet and problem solve, uh, coordinate between, at that time, doctors and lab and x-ray and now it's lenders and appraisers and inspectors. Um, People are stressed when they're not feeling well, and they're stressed when they're selling a house. So uh, before I knew it, I found that I could make a living and not wear a uniform, which I'd done my entire life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, Now, how long were you a nurse? I was a
1: nurse for about 10
0: years. For 10 years. Wow. Now, when you got that license to sell that home and you were still a nurse, did you work in real estate part-time initially, or did you just fall in love with it and immediately transition over?
1: It was a pretty short transition, but again, it wasn't something I really had thought about. I just found that I was good at it. I was working part-time as a nurse because I had two very small children, and I just ended up being busy in real estate and took a leap and let that go and went 100% into real estate within probably about six months to a year.
0: Oh, wow. That's pretty quick. Six to 12 months, you knew it was going to work out. Right. Do you think you had a fast start or a slow start
1: in that first year? I think it was a slow start. I had enormous call reluctance, so I did not like cold calling at all. I found that the best place for me to begin my business was uh, working at an open house where I could meet people face-to-face and I really looked at each person that walked through that door as if I was interviewing them for the job of becoming my client. So the ones that I liked and I felt rapport with and that were, had immediate needs, um, I pursued and the rest of them, I just let them go and focused on the people I thought I could work with best.
0: You had some intuition there at the very beginning that you were selecting the client as opposed to the client selecting you.
1: Right. Otherwise, it was too scary. It was like, like me, like me. Well, I decided I needed to like them, and that worked out a lot better for me. Do you recall how many homes you
0: sold that first year?
1: Oh, not that many. Probably about 10 or 12. I wasn't at a point with small children that I had to just go gangbusters. So I did it. I, I learned my trade very well in that year, because I think you really, if you're going to be in it for the long haul, you really have to understand everything, including practically every word of the sale contract to be able to serve people best. And then as you gain experience, you earn the right to work with people. And that's sort of how I looked at that first year.
0: Colleen, are you familiar with the DISC test, the DISC? Oh, yes, very much so. Do you know what
1: you test out as? I tested out, and you know, a lot of people I think are surprised at where they test out, but I tested out kind of high C so um, I'm a little detail-oriented, um, quite not quite paralysis by analysis, but I think that's why I even started by taking that real estate course because I really wanted to understand that process. So I start as a C over the years. What used to be some S has maybe turned into a D, because now I'm like, just get to the point, point. <laughs> and before, <laughs> I could, I, <laughs> before I could just kind of wander through a conversation, and now I'm like, just shorten it down, give me the facts, let's go.
0: I was guessing C, and it's unusual to be a C and rise up to the top, and congratulations. We bumped into a few. I'm really glad to be chatting with you. I think the, the dead giveaway was the fact that you went out and took the the real estate licensing class just to sell a home, and that's pretty impressive. That shows that you probably dig into a lot of details, so I'm really excited to talk to you more on this call. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk with us today. Now, that was a long time ago that you, you got that license. How long is it been 30
1: years I think that's like 120 years in real estate <laughs> really so. right now well, that's fantastic so 30
0: years so let's fast forward to today how many homes did you sell last year
1: 200 and change I think 203
0: 202 transactions yeah 202 and and do you remember what the sales volume was
1: uh, we were at uh, just at about sixty-eight point seven million last year.
0: Do you recall what your best year was and how many homes you sold that year?
1: Probably around two thousand eight, where we sold about seventy-two million homes and just over three hundred homes um, in the bubble.
0: You were really zipping up there, and then I guess things fell off after the bubble.
1: It did. Probably we went down into the $50 range, which is still in St. Louis relative to other markets. wasn't bad, and uh, um, we managed to keep things rolling along and learned an awful lot along the way.
0: Have you ever counted it up to find out how many homes you've sold in your career? Oh,
1: gosh. Um, I think it was a little over 1,200 homes.
0: Do you know what the sales volume was on that 1,200 homes?
1: Uh, it was a little over four hundred million, about um, somewhere between four hundred and ten and four hundred and twenty million.
0: Oh my goodness! You're almost a half a billion.
1: I know. I would love to make a billion before I call it a day.
0: While we were preparing for this call, I asked you a couple of topics you might want to talk about. One of them was emotional intelligence. What could you tell us about emotional intelligence and how it applies to real estate?
1: Well, maybe I'll give you an example of a transaction that I just closed about a week ago. I had the seller, and the seller was running on a pretty tight line. She didn't have a lot of assets, and that meant she didn't have a lot of uh, ability to solve problems on building inspection and all of that sort of thing. On the other side, I had a first time home buyer whose mom and dad were very involved in the process and very protective of their daughter, but I also had a buyer's agent who approached every little speed bump from feeling rather than fact, so she, if she had a buyer that was just a little bit um, uh, snarky about something, she escalated that every time, and I found myself always having to go, now, uh, let's move this back, and let's just look at the facts, and let's let's look at the problem, and let's solve the problem. And emotional intelligence, I think, is being able to, um, it doesn't mean you're not emotional, but when you are faced with an obstacle or a challenge or a problem, being able to pull back. I had an agent many, many years ago say, never want a deal more than your client. And if, if you can take that approach, which it maybe isn't always easy, but if you can take that approach, I think you'll get more things to the closing line and, and work on fact and not so much on feeling. Certainly acknowledge emotions, acknowledge what's difficult, but always try and bring it back around to just identifying the problem and solving it.
0: Let's... Step back from it and tell everybody where you're at. Where is Chesterfield, Missouri?
1: Chesterfield, Missouri is a suburb of St. Louis, so we're just west of the Mississippi, by and probably about 25 minutes from downtown. St. Louis is a really interesting town. The city is totally separate from St. Louis County; it's its own little own little island. And in the county, there's over 70 separate municipalities. Uh, the area that I'm in, Chesterfield. I guess you could characterize more as West County. So we have West County, North County, South County, and St. Louis City, and we're in the West County corridor.
0: Do you know what the population is there in either Metro St. Louis or in your West County area?
1: I couldn't tell you West County because it's scattered by each municipality, but I would say in the metropolitan area, we are probably at a million, a million, two.
0: Do you work the entire Metro St. Louis area, or do you just work that West County area?
1: You know, I talk to my team a lot about windshield time and that if we can stay in our core, we're more efficient. But darn, if we have a past client that bought in St. Charles County, which is to the west uh, of us, or in St. Louis City, um, we find ourselves um, of course, we want to service those clients or referrals that were called. So, I probably have about a 30 mile radius of where we serve buyers and sellers.
0: Please describe your current real estate market.
1: Well, St. Louis is rather interesting. This year, in a lot of publications, it was identified as one of the 10 best real estate markets based on unemployment affordability, uh, inventory, all of that said St. Louis is going to go great this year. And it has gone very well. But in St. Louis, great doesn't mean that we see huge 10% spikes in sale price. Um, But at the same time, when the market goes down, we don't see the same kind of drops that more volatile markets see. In St. Louis right now, um, if a house is uh, in great condition and priced right, it's going to sell with multiple offers. But if you're trying to push price up very much at all. These Missouri folks are like, show me the statistics. I don't see anything that sold like that. Why should I pay that? And a house will tend to sit and have to take a price adjustment. So pushing those prices up is a little bit of a challenge in this market. And I would say overall that maybe we're looking at about a 3% appreciation this year on average. And that is, if I'm looking at a specific house, maybe last year it would have sold for 3% less. I get a little crazy when I look at average sale price for an area because that number has an awful lot to do with how many lower-priced homes are selling versus how many higher-priced homes are selling. And that number will kind of go up or down depending on the volume and the different price ranges.
0: Do you know what the average, approximate average price
1: is in your area? It's probably in the $230,000, 230000 range.
0: So you're probably working a little bit above that average.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: You mentioned that the market is pretty stable. Do you recall the average days on the market?
1: It would run probably at about 60, 65 days right now over the entire metropolitan area.
0: Can you tell us if you have a niche or a specialization in your market?
1: That's a good question. Niches are a challenge for me because I feel like if I'm niching, I'm excluding opportunity. So um, I find that I have a very broad brush in terms of uh, price range because I'll, I will work with a lot of people that are local buyers and sellers that are making that moving their way up or moving their way down. So I see a lot of transactions that are a buy and a sell with that particular client. Um, I do tend to focus in the West County corridor and I tend to focus in a range of, say, oh 250 to $650,000. Um, I certainly like working with higher priced homes. Um, our market here above the 600 point, is a little bit more flat, not that it's falling, but just that there's higher inventory and a higher days on market. So I really enjoy listing a $400,000 home or two and watching them fly off the shelf rather than, than really, really, really having to have some patience with a home that's priced, say, at a million or more.
0: You mentioned that you work a lot with people who are either moving up or moving down and you're helping them with two separate transactions, a sell and a buy. What percentage of your business is that model? What percentage of your business is working with a move up, move down buyer?
1: Where I'm doing both sides of the transaction, I would say probably about 35% or so where it's a local buyer coming, you know, that's got to sell something and buy something.
0: My understanding is quite a bit of your business is coming from repeat and referrals. If I understand correctly, it's as high as 70%. Does that sound correct? Yes, sir. Let's talk about that. Let's dig into what's happening there. So your database of past clients and sphere of influence, how big is it? How many folks are in there? Oh, gosh,
1: probably about 5,000.
0: How does that break out per, say, past clients? What do you think the, the number is for past clients?
1: Um, probably, gosh, I would say about 75% of that is going to be past clients. And, but you know, when you've been doing something for 30 years, that number just kind of builds itself.
0: What's the source of the sphere of influence? Are you working certain groups that you're bringing in to your sphere? Is it just people that you've met over the years? Are you also including people in here that are, say, internet leads or sign calls
1: Yes, definitely internet leads and signed calls will go right into that SOI, and uh, that's a good um, probably 20% of that. Um, I'm a little bit particular because there's so many different sources for internet leads, and some of them are, are really long-term, and so those you just kind of have to nurture along the way. Um, but there are a fair number that come in that are... Um, Um, more immediate, and they're ready to buy or sell today. Uh, So our market and my SOI is based an awful lot on just real estate contacts, referrals from past clients, you know where they'll call and say, "Oh my aunt, my sister, my brother that uh, people that I knew when my kids were in grade school still will call, so I stay in touch with those kinds of groups um, but uh, I always think I could do better at what I what my team calls getting out more um, I'll do just the business of real estate and do things real estate related 24-7, but getting out and, and socializing a little bit, you know, attending events, um, that sort of thing is something that's very productive. But uh, just like so many people, I sometimes get trapped in the urgent instead of the important.
0: With your, your C personality, it's not a natural fit to be out there socializing all the time. You'd rather be cruising right along, knocking out the projects.
1: And you'd think after 30 years, I'd learn because when I get out there, I always have a great time and I usually end up with business one way or another following the fact. But again, um, I just kind of put my nose to the grindstone and and my team will be like, you need to go to that. You should do that. Why don't you go play? And uh, uh, so I, I work at that.
0: You've made a model that works very well for you, so that's great. Let's keep looking at the, the current model that's working. So you said on the database, it sounds like anybody that you meet that has any interest at all, including a real estate interest, is going to go into your database. Would you agree with that statement? Yes, sir. Do people ever come out of your database? Do you ever remove people, and if so, Why?
1: Very rarely. I think if somebody moves out of that country, <laughs> I might, I'm, and I haven't talked to them in three years or something. We try to make November uh, the month where we go in and we kind of reclassify and clean up that database. So... On my team will kind of split that those numbers up and kind of pull through and and say oh you know this person sent us two referrals this year we need to make them part of maybe like our golden 200 and and uh, make sure that we're touching base with them a little bit more or if there's just somebody that frankly is from like six years ago they moved out of state and nobody can remember them then maybe those folks are going to come off of that database
0: That's really interesting. It sounds like you have split this database into subsets or subparts, one of which you mentioned was the golden 200. Could you tell us what the different subsets are?
1: Sure. Well, first of all, we classify everybody by the year of their transactions and whether they were a buyer or whether they were a seller. From there, we really do try and keep 200 Uh, maybe it should be more, maybe it should be less, but 200 feels right to me. But 200 people that um, uh, maybe they haven't sent us a referral, but we just love them. So they're going to be in there and we're always going to touch base with them so that we always make sure that uh, the most recent years, like if we're doing Thanksgiving, we give away pies. So... At Thanksgiving, we would invite probably the past five years' worth of clients, and especially those 200, to come get a free pie. And we'll touch base with them or send them something that's a little bit meaningful about four times a year. And, again, it isn't that we have to be getting something from them for them to stay on that 200. Some of them are just delightful, and they kind of fill our cup up when we talk to them. So, um, so there they stay.
0: Helps you focus down from that real large list of 5,000 to these 200 golden folks that you really want to spend your time and effort with. It sounds like results in quite a bit of referrals, although they don't have to refer to get on that list. Mm-hmm. Do you keep your database in a, a particular software program? Or where are you keeping this database?
1: We use Wise Agent, it's cloud based and it has not just contact information and what year they bought or sold and what they bought or sold but a lot of notes as well if somebody has a baby if somebody talks to them about something else they'll probably just enter a note it's also really nice because if i'm working out of my gmail my gmail exchanges with somebody will go straight into wise agent so i've got notes of any correspondence i've had with them even though i'm just working off of you know, my home Gmail account or off of my phone or whatever. And that is something that we are trying to figure out how to import into maybe um, Office 365. But I don't think we can move all of the all of the history and all of those notes without me hiring somebody full time for a year to do it. So, we'll probably, if we do that import of, of just the contact information, we'll probably from that point forward add notes into what we shift to, but we'll save Wise Agent because we've got an awful lot of past knowledge and past history in that system.
0: Why do you want to transfer from Wise Agent to Office 365?
1: because my office is doing it and it'll be free.
0: (laughs) Ah, okay.
1: (laughs) It has a lot of tools that I think we'll be able to use well and that everyone will be able to access very well. The only complaint I have about WISE Agent is that when I'm using it online, sometimes you get that, it just feels like it moves a little bit slow. And when I'm in my D mode, I just am like, come on, come on, come on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, Very good. Well, let's do this. Let's talk about, again, you got 5,000 people in this past client sphere of influence database. Let's talk about what you do over the course of a year to stay in touch with them. What is your marketing plan to stay in touch with these folks over the course of 12 months?
1: Because they're right there in that plan, um, I don't necessarily do all of them at once, but I will pull, say, last year's buyers and sellers and give them an overview of this year's market. Or I'll go back that five years and give just a little bit of information about what's happened in the last five years and where the market is compared to there. And I'll try and do something on a monthly basis. There are certainly a lot of products out there that could do that on autopilot, Um, but I call me old school. I think people get an awful lot of junk email and I try to make it a little bit more personal. It doesn't take that much time. I'll sit in my home office with a cup of coffee uh, and try and get that done by 10 o'clock, one day a month and push that out. Even if it's in maybe three different groupings uh, for different parts of that base so they will get a touch from me once a month by email that is not just something that somebody else kind of served up and I I hit out of the park. In addition to that we do a couple of client based events every year one is uh, we do a shredding event where everybody can bring all of their documents, we park a shredding truck outside Uh, we put some popcorn and some soft drinks And they just come and get rid of all of their old documents. And we can get rid of ours at the same time. So that works well for everybody. And then uh, so that's in the spring. And in the fall, like I said, we do give away uh, either a pumpkin or an apple pie. And it is amazing to me how far people will drive for a free pie. I will have people make an hour and a half round trip to get their pie. Maybe they want to say hi to me, and that's really why. It's
0: <laughs> that's it. <I> don't know. <laughs> I think they want to come see you, yeah.
1: I think that is exactly really correct. nice. It is really nice to see folks and to be able to give them something and, and just um, my feet are killing me at the end of that day, but it is a great, fun time for everybody.
0: That pie giveaway, I assume you're doing that maybe uh, the Tuesday before the Thanksgiving.
1: That's right. Tuesday and Wednesday, and we even have some folks that we'll deliver to if they can't get here. And um, um, what's really interesting and touches me every year is I have a couple of people that say, thank you so much, please donate my pie to a pantry. So um, we're kicking around this year doing something along those lines that for every pie that we give away, we'll donate one, because I think it's really important to invest in your community and to give back.
0: How many invitations do you send out and how many people accept and come by and get a pie?
1: Um, we probably send out somewhere between five and 700 invitations. And we probably have a little uh, somewhere between 200 and 250 that actually come and get a pie. But a lot of the people that don't come get a pie, they're right back. Thank you so much. How are you doing? It's a nice touch even if we don't actually hand them a pie it's a good time to kind of reach out and say hi
0: how do you promote the event do you send out the invitation by email do you do it on a postcard Uh, what's your method for getting this out and how frequently do you send something out
1: Uh, We used to do it with a postcard, but about two years ago, we switched over to Evite and that's very effective. And we start touching them the beginning of November, uh, touch them once and then touch them like the day before. The only challenge that Evite, Evite, creates is that they'll go, yes, I want a pie, but they don't say if they want apple or pumpkin. So we just um, have to reach out and go, okay, pick one. Um, and, uh, uh, but that's the only thing. They just seem to miss that part. But it's all right because it gives us a chance to have, talk to them individually.
0: So it sounds like one email goes out early November, another email goes out a day or two before the event. So you're basically sending out two emails. They're going through eVite to, to make their registration. Sometimes they miss if they have an option for the pie, so you have to call back. You're ordering maybe 200 to 250 pies. Where are you getting those pies? There's an
1: area in St. Louis called The Hill, and it's the Italian kind of enclave in St. Louis. They have fabulous restaurants on every corner and halfway down every street, and there are a couple of bakeries that are really well known there. So we order our pies from Missouri Baking, and when we're picking them up that morning, they're still coming out of the oven because they start like the day ahead, and they are pumping pies out like crazy. They're still warm when we bring them to the office.
0: Everybody then comes by. You invite them to come by the office to pick it up. And you said this takes
1: almost two days then to hand out all the pies. Mm-hmm. It sure does. It becomes uh, the be-all and end-all of what we're doing that week.
0: How long have you been doing this pie giveaway? Oh, probably about eight years. Wow, it must be working.
1: Yeah, it is. It's a and it is a lot of fun. There are clients that I sold a house for them three years ago, and they will come to pick up a pie and stay and visit for a half hour. It, it, it's just it's really great. They have more time than I do, obviously, but <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it's a really nice time to reconnect with people, especially with the holidays coming up.
0: What do people typically do do they typically walk in say hi take their pie and they're gone in a couple minutes or do they come in and and chat for five or ten minutes
1: well what's the typical scenario they'll come in and visit maybe there's somebody on my team they want to say hi to that they met while they were there and they will um, uh, some of them will just come in get their pies we try and uh, take a picture of them I'm not using that on Like social media, I mean individual pictures and tagging people because I'm trying to respect privacy a little bit and not necessarily have them feel like I'm using them for a promotion but we'll use it, like we'll load that picture up into our database where we can have a picture of who we're talking to or we'll do a collage of, you know, that's tiny little pictures of everybody that came to get their pie and maybe put that on our Facebook page or something within the week. Um, But like I said, some people, we had a lady last year who, uh, we sold her house and then she bought another house, uh, maybe two years before. She came, she brought her two daughters and she was probably here a half hour just visiting with everybody on the team. And, uh, sometimes people are sending their children, if they're drivers, you know, to come get the pie. Those teenagers are pretty much in and out, but that's okay. Like, make sure you tell your mom and dad we said hi. But it is, As much, I would say, a little bit of a social visit as it is about the pie.
0: While you're talking to the folks at the event, are you asking for referrals or business?
1: Um, No. I will follow up a week later because I'll have that database, you know, of everybody that picked up a pie, and I'll... Tell them I hope they had a great Thanksgiving. That I was very glad to see them and to please keep us in mind through the holidays and after the first of the year if they know somebody who's moving.
0: So it's kind of a light touch after the fact through email and just saying thank you for coming by
1: hmm Absolutely. And I just want it to be about them and their pie when they're here. Um, I kind of take a mindset that if I want something from someone, I should invest in them, um, whether it's time, a pie, whatever. But I would like to invest in them before I'm asking for something back.
0: Building that rapport, you're building that relationship for long-term
1: business. Well, at the end of the day, relationships are uh, what it's all about. That's right.
0: Do you see direct results out of the event? For instance, do you see a certain amount of business that occurs right after the event?
1: I would say that during the event, even though I'm not asking for business, I'll probably have, if I'm giving away 220 pies, I'll probably have five people that are like, hey, call me next week, or my uncle needs to do, they will be the one that brings it up right then and there. And then I would say that when I follow up with that email, um, I would say that I end up uh, January and February, I'm probably doing six, seven eight houses that are um, from that request for business following the event.
0: That sounds like a pretty good ROI. How much does it cost to put the event on?
1: Well, it's not that much. I would say we're probably at about $7 a pie. So um, in my mind, it is one of the best things we can do. And if it's best and it's fun, then it's a keeper in my book.
0: You're maybe looking at about $1,500 or so for the entire mm-hmm. event, oh, yeah. and yeah. On, on average, it's, for, it's resulting in about 12 or so closings that you can track and probably That's more right. goodwill.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So it's, it, it's a big
1: win. It is for everybody.
0: Let's talk about the shredding event now. You mentioned a little bit about how the arrangement is. It, it sounds like it's happening in your parking lot.
1: That's right. We just have a shredding truck pull up. Last year, I think we had to go get a second truck. Because we had so many people come by, and we try and tie it somewhere in May, because it's when everybody's hopefully gotten their taxes done, and they have, you know, if they're holding items for five years or seven years, then they've got um, they've got a year that they can discard at that point. So we try to do end of April, first week of May, which can get a little tricky because you've got to, you're doing workarounds with graduations for some of the bigger high schools and whatnot. So we have to study the calendar a little bit to place the date for that. When I send out an invitation for that, um, I I either precede it or follow it up with just a little blog or a little attachment about... home organization, managing clutter, uh, that sort of thing, and those kinds of things. I'll just search for an article and send it and say, hey, we're having a shredding event. Here's a little information, and it's one of the reasons why we're offering shredding. And so I tie those two together with a, a touch either right before or right after that invitation.
0: And how many people do you put this out to? How many people do you invite to the event?
1: Oh, everybody, so that would go out to all 5,000. But I would say um, people appreciate it. Um, They certainly, it's well attended. It is not the same as when they get to park their car and walk into my office. Instead, they're pulling up to the shredder and throwing it in there, hi, bye, thank you. And it's not as much of a social event, but I think it's worthwhile, and I think they appreciate it.
0: Do you put up a banner or something to indicate that this is with your group?
1: I do, and uh, we put it so that I actually last year, I think some of the other businesses where we're located, some of those employees took advantage of it too, which is great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure. That's why you need that second truck.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: <laughs> now, the cost of this event, is it, is it excessive?
1: No, it's um, less than $1,000.
0: And how many people do you think come by out of the five thousand that you invite?
1: Oh, probably, gosh, probably about the same. Touch around two hundred and fifty. Around two hundred and fifty.
0: So maybe four dollars a person. You're getting to touch everybody. They're coming by. You get to see them for a minute, and they get to recognize that you're offering service to the community.
1: Yeah, that's right. And if I'm I'm really organized, we'll give them a bottle of water, maybe with an urban team cozy, so that they've got a little bit of something that's a takeaway as well.
0: Are you out there the whole time? Is it happen all day?
1: Um, no, it's pretty, it's usually like, say, from 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock on a Saturday. And I feel like for something like that, that's almost like a drive-through. If, uh, it's kind of like an open house. If they want to do it, they'll be there when it's there, <laughs> so we don't have to drag it out for the whole day.
0: I'm just kind of curious, how many documents do, do people typically bring? I, are you, I assume you're seeing everything from somebody bringing one tax form to multiple boxes, right?
1: <laughs> Almost everybody has at least one box. I would see, say, on average, it's one or two like bank boxes, smaller bank boxes um, that they're shredding. But sometimes I'll have if I have a client who has their own business then they'll take advantage to shred all their files from five years ago or something. And we'll be unloading a truckload. That's all right. (laughs) (laughs) Sure.
0: Sure. Wow. Okay. Let's talk about the ROI on it. Since this is not as personal as the PI event, are you seeing business come out of the event?
1: I can't really say that I can attribute the kind of business that I see with the PI event, but, um, In my heart of hearts, I really do feel like sometimes just keeping your name out there, something comes along. So this last year when we did it, I know specifically that I had two transactions that I could attribute to that that were referrals from the person dropping off the box to a relative that they had that had a need. So, um, you know, it was still, I think it was real productive and it just keeps your name out there.
0: And how many invitations did you send out for the event? Is it just like the Pi event? You send out two?
1: That's right. Two. One is a, a little note from me with an article about organizing, and the other one is the, the invitation to the event.
0: When do those go out?
1: Once we determine the date, they go out about three and a half weeks before. um, And there is a touch. If we're using Evite, we'll set something up so there's a touch just a couple of days before as a reminder. But the original invitation and then that article either just prior, like a day before we send out the invite, or within the week after, and then a reminder two or three days before the event.
0: And then do you also send out an email after the event to, say, show pictures of people putting stuff in the shredder or any kind of reminder that the event occurred?
1: We'll just post a couple of pictures like with the line of cars on our Facebook page.
0: Very good. So it sounds to me like each of these events, one of the great reasons for doing it is that you're able to have a great reason to contact your past clients and sphere of influence. In the pie giveaway, it's two invites and then they can also see some photos afterwards and the same thing with a shredding event. So with both events, you have four contacts. You have four reasons to touch them and talk to them and say hello.
1: That's right. And, and like I said, part of that is that it is, um, it kind of fills up our cup um, to be able to be talking them to, you know, visiting with them and um, just being social rather than always having every contact be about business.
0: Are there any other events that you put on during the year? Do we have the two events down?
1: Those are the two that we do. My office does uh, 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 pictures with Santa uh, first week of November, so we just participate in that with the office. But it's nice because the photographer that we use and the Santa we use, um, we do pets as well as people. So a lot of people bring their animals in to get their puppy with Santa picture.
0: And so that's how the, your office is putting it on, but you get the opportunity to promote that and make another touch.
1: That's right. That's right. And then my company as a whole also, uh, it's coming up here shortly in a couple of weeks, we do a golf tournament. Uh, to support Ronald McDonald House, and uh, I send invites to my SOI if they'd like to join a foursome or be a foursome, and typically I buy two foursomes and put together two foursomes that are some of the people from that 200 list, and I just pay for that. I think it's $400 or whatever, and it's just nice to see them out on the golf course.
0: So if I understand correctly, the big picture of the entire Sphere and, and past client database, the way that you're staying in touch with them is a, a monthly email where you put together a, a personal email about what's happening in the market that may go out to all of them. It may go out to a subset, say just the people that bought and sold in the last year or last five years. But you're you're doing a monthly contact there. And then on top of that you have these events where you're also making these contacts to everybody when you're making these invitations so that everybody's getting touched again. That's correct. Now you also have this golden two hundred. Is there anything in addition to that that you're doing for the golden two hundred?
1: Um, I make sure that I have all of their birthdays and their house anniversaries, and um, I send them a snail mail card for their birthdays and for their house anniversary.
0: Are you writing that personally?
1: Yes, I am. Just just like my mama taught me to. (laughs) (laughs) Wow.
0: Well, that's got to keep you busy. Do you have a system uh, to help work that out so you can get all those out?
1: For birthdays, um, I pull all of those up um, and do those, um, let's call it maybe on a snow day or whatever. And uh, around the holidays, I'll take a day, I'll buy 500 cards and I will sign each one of them, and we'll get those addressed. And we'll, we'll have the dates on the inside flap so that they're in order. And then one of my admins will mail those um, you know, in the week prior to those. But it's all done at one time for the whole year.
0: The birthday card, does that mean you're just signing it? Or do you also write a little private note?
1: Sometimes I write a note. Sometimes I just write their name above and sign it below, but I I hand sign them all, and I would say probably about half of them. I write a little note, and the other half, uh, I'll just put, hey, Mary, have a great day thinking of you, and, and sign it.
0: So your staff is not writing those, and then you sign them. You're actually filling out the inside of the card and signing
1: off. I am. I don't address them, but I do have them hand address them.
0: Then your, your staff hand addresses it so it's more likely to get open. Right. You're doing that for the birthdays, and you said you're also doing that for the uh, house anniversary
1: dates? I can't believe it's been four years since you moved in. How's everything going? What have you changed? Do you do anything else for your Golden 200? No, I don't. Except that um, when I find the time, which is not consistent, but um, if I have a little bit of quiet time or I know I've got some space in a day, um, I, have, I can pull that list up and I'll try and touch five of them, either by an email or a phone call, and just keep rotating through that list. So maybe I'm doing that uh, three or four or five times a month. So maybe I'm only touching 25, but I can get through that list at least once or twice a year and, um, and just make that something that if I look up and I have uh, a spare half hour, it's pretty easy to just kind of roll through some of those folks that way. Now, a
0: quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now back to the show. So you also make a a little more finer touch and you're, you're working through that. You said you're doing emails and phone calls. What's your preference between the email and the phone call?
1: Well, when you make a phone call, an awful lot of time, especially during the workday, you're not necessarily going to get anything but a voicemail to leave it, but I still think that's a little bit more personal than an email. And I'm not saying that uh, I draw a line at a particular age, but some of my younger clients, I might just text or email because that's their preferred method of communication.
0: When you send out that email once a month, are you asking for any business or are you just giving information?
1: I give information and in my clothes I do say something like, don't forget we're buying and selling if you know somebody. So that is always going to be almost a tagline as I send that out every month. But when I'm working through my 200 with either an email or a voicemail or a text, um, that's just to say, hey.
0: Sounds like most of your contact with your database is to say hello, to stay in front of them, maybe a soft reminder that you're in real estate, but you're not asking directly for referrals
1: always in there. The people that I'm staying in touch with know I sell a lot of houses. They, I've usually worked with them in the past. They hopefully think I'm pretty darn competent. And I will be sure to tell them that, you know, I'm never too busy. If you know somebody, I'd treat them like gold. So...
0: And if there's someone out there listening, an agent listening, and they want to do better at their past clients' and sphere of influence, they either want to get started with it or they want to improve it. Do you have any recommendations for what's the, the thing
1: that they should key in on? If they have a database, they need to have a system and work the system. No system is bad in my mind if you use it and you do it. So whether that is, even if it is, just an automatic email goes out once a month, that's fine. One thing that would be, if you don't have a huge database, that might be an easy way to do that is to just set up a search for somebody's uh neighborhood. And and call them, tell them you're going to set that up. They can unsubscribe. But in the meantime, they'll always know if they come home and they see a sign in the yard, they're already going to have an email about how much their neighbors sell in their house for. And that might be a good start. And then set up something that's monthly or quarterly. And you don't have to start with two events, but one event is certainly worthwhile.
0: Yes, and I've noticed that the events that you chose are some of the least expensive events that you can do, and yet you're still doing them and you're still getting the benefit of all those contacts.
1: Absolutely. If you have a plan, work your plan. Um, If you have a great plan and you don't work it, it's not a good plan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very good. I like that idea, setting up that neighborhood search, making it automatic, letting them know that you've done that for them. Who doesn't want to know what's happening in their neighborhood? Great idea.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's very low touch. You set it up once and it'll run. So, um, and, the, and if you set yourself up to be copied on it, then when something comes up that's a neighbor or whatever, maybe that's a chance for you to reach out to them again.
0: So your philosophy, to, to wrap it up, is to stay in touch with those folks as many times as you can, offering value and service.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: Let's switch to another topic. Another area that you're generating quite a bit of business from is expired listings. And if I understand correctly, it's about 20% of your business.
1: That's right. But I would say that my expired business comes from the fact that I'm number one in my company and people that have listed with a friend or a relative and not been successful kind of reach out to me. And I end up with about... 20% of my listings at any given time being expired listings or withdrawn listings, and um, I could work those, but they tend to sort of come to me, so that's where I end up with that business. A lot of times, those folks have been um, you know, they just picked somebody and maybe it was a bad choice. Maybe it was somebody that couldn't give them really good direction on condition and price. The second time around, they're going to look for the big guns and they may be interviewing two or three agents. So at that point, I think it's really important if you're talking to an expired to ask them what their experience was while they were on the market. You certainly want to avoid the pitfalls or the disappointments that they had with their previous agent um, and get a handle on how well they thought they were communicated with. Um, You certainly want to hear about whether they had any offers. You certainly want to hear about what kind of feedback they got over time and did it tend to repeat itself. So when I talk to an expired, I am asking a lot of questions so that when I meet with them, I know how to address all of their concerns and and the experience that they've had thus far.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about how they're coming to you. I just want to get some clarification. So are these folks that are maybe in your database, but for whatever reason they selected another agent the first time around, didn't work out, and now they want you to come in and save the
1: day? They are not in my database. I have not touched them. They've been on the market, and they're either expired uh, or I have one going on the market today that expired probably 60 days ago. They called me 30 days ago and uh, wanted to stay off of the market for a total of 60 days so they could come on fresher, make a couple of changes, but they were totally nobody I'd ever talked to or anybody I had contact with. I think some of those folks that are not having the market treat them as they thought it would I think they're online and they are looking for, they're Googling, you know, top agents in the area or they're doing some serious homework before they invite me into their house.
0: Okay. So they really are finding you from another source. And I was curious what that was. And you mentioned they're probably doing a search online and they're ending up coming over to you and maybe a couple other agents. As you said, they want to do it right the next time
1: around. That's right. And so at that point, your track record, your statistics are important. And over the last year, what I've seen be very powerful is online reviews. They are reading those backwards and forwards before they pick up the phone.
0: Are you doing anything to create online reviews or to promote your folks doing reviews online?
1: At the closing table, I always tell them that they're going to get a request from us to give us some direct feedback, and we do snail mail. We send something, so we, I have something in my hand that's a piece of paper that's handwritten by them and I'll put some of those sometimes in a listing presentation but when that closes we will um, tell them that it would be great if they could talk about their experience either on Zillow or Trulia or one of those sites and give us, give us a good honest review of how we did there because uh, other people are looking at that and it's a, a big part of, of how people make a decision on who they're going to use
0: that's really interesting so you're currently asking them to give you a review twice once written in a hard copy sent back to you and another time online
1: mm-hmm. and a lot of them are really good about doing that if they are very happy with the service that they've received they want to help you do well and we really appreciate that
0: and how many reviews do you think you have floating around out there now
1: Oh, I don't know. I think I probably have not a bazillion. I know there are some agents with more, but I probably have somewhere between 50 and 75 reviews. I know I have one little lady that I adored working with who gave me a fabulous review but only gave me one star on Zillow because she thought <laughs> one was better than oh, no. five. She and one um, was number one. <laughs> <laughs> so she's the only one that hasn't given me a five. But um, I smile every time I see it because I know she meant well because the rest of the review is fabulous. But um, <laughs> But I think that's very meaningful for people who don't know you. And it's the same thing if i'm calling a plumber or an electrician i'm looking online for those reviews as well so i know that that's important in this business
0: you know i i know it wasn't planned and it it kind of seems silly and it might have even been a little awkward at the beginning but the fact that she put that one star i bet you it's the review that everybody reads
1: (laughs) i think so you're absolutely (laughs) right i didn't think of it that way
0: (laughs) because <laughs> don't you normally look at like the number one best, and then you say, "Well, show me the bad stuff then, and you yeah. go down and you look for number the the one star review, and there yeah. it is all glowing, so I know, so actually I know. she probably
1: helped you out a lot <laughs> maybe maybe I'll have to call her and tease her and give her a thank you for that,
0: <laughs> yeah, but tell her not to change that one star no. that probably is helping that's cool oh, uh, that's great, well, very good, so you got these online reviews. And I think you're probably right. I think expireds are probably reading those a lot. Let's talk a little more about those expireds. I just want to, again, clarify, do you not have a formal campaign then to go out to the expireds? Are you not sending out a postcard or email or phone call or something?
1: I do not, because at this point in time, they are deluged. So what I do is I'll go back... I'll do a, about a forty five day back search because everybody will attack that expired listing the day it expired, and they might do three or four or five however many pieces or touches to that person, but um, they're just deluged and they may have already they may already have their plans in place. They certainly are now being contacted by people that are um, have a program that is so aggressive that um, a third party is calling their kids' cell phone if that's the only way they can reach them to see about getting this agent in to list the house. And um, I think that is a little too aggressive for my taste. So what I'll do is um, I have a new agent who is, I guess, we're mentoring. She's not a part of our team. She's learning the trade, but she will every day search expireds for, that are 45 days old and she'll touch those with a letter, and it's a nice letter, and it is professional, and it is not a phone call. It's not invasive. It's just, I noticed that you came off the market 45 days ago, and you haven't come back on the market. If you're still thinking about moving, let's talk. So I, I want to pick up those expireds that haven't already listed, that uh, everybody forgot, and get them ready for the market. This time of year, it might be somebody who's waiting until January or February to come back on the market, but it's a great time to start filling up that pipeline with those expireds. And so the ones that I take um, overall, I would say probably about, if it's 20% over time, probably about 8% are from that campaign, and the rest are just contacting me independently.
0: And do you just send one letter?
1: I send one letter, and it is um, thoughtful. It's hand signed by me, and uh, but it goes out at that time. And then they will go on. Um, they'll go on a little drip campaign, that's pretty automatic, and just send some information to keep my name in front of them.
0: How often do the drips go out?
1: They go out uh, every three weeks. Every three weeks.
0: And that's just another piece of snail mail that
1: goes out and and keeps you in front of them? No, that would be an email campaign that I just set up and run.
0: How do you get the emails of the expireds?
1: Sometimes she'll hand deliver them. Sometimes I'll just Google them, and if you Google hard enough, you can pull up an email. So um, I'll go that way. It's a little bit of a trick, but I would say I probably capture about 50% of those emails, either by her knocking on the door, giving them the letter, saying, would you mind if we stayed in touch, Um, but real soft touch.
0: Now you mentioned that this this gal that's helping you out with this, she's a new agent. She's getting some mentoring, but she's not on your formal team. Are you paying her say hourly to do this work, or is she receiving a percentage of those sales when they close? What's your
1: arrangement with her? She's hourly, and I will commission her off of a sale. And uh, once a month, she'll give me her total hours, and uh, I'm probably could have somebody do it for less, but I pay her $15 an hour.
0: Let's talk about your team. You're not doing this all by yourself at this point. Could you please help us out describe your team?
1: In the beginning, the team was something that was, okay, what do I hate doing? Let me hire somebody to do that so I can do what I like to do. And that would be mostly paperwork. (laughs) So, But over time, the team is structured this way. Um, I took every every task a real estate agent does and put it on a Post-it note on a big whiteboard and put every task there. And then I put headings at the top. One is marketing, one is listing, one is closing. So those three positions needed to be filled. And then all of those little post-it notes moved around the board so that everybody had their set job description based on post-it notes. Very, very uh, high tech. So, (laughs) so, um, So I have a marketing manager who when I take a listing, I come back into the office, I hand her the file, she calls that person, introduces herself, schedules pictures, schedules staging if we need that, uh, goes to the house to meet the photographer, measures, takes her notes, comes back to the office, when she gets the pictures, she builds that listing in the MLS, sends it to the buyer, makes sure they are thrilled with it, and then we go live. So that is, she is probably, um, for each listing, it's probably about eight hours worth of, of man hours to get that listing up as we like it. She does the brochures. She gets it out on, on our website, makes sure it looks right on Zillow and Trulia. Sometimes they don't transfer Seamlessly, um, And so she's, she's got that listing up and running. From there, she hands that file to Caroline, and she's my listing manager. I call her my resident stalker. She's the person who uh, chases down agents for feedback. She delivers that feedback to the sellers the minute she gets it. She, They know they can call her if they ha- have had a problem with the showing or somebody hasn't shown up or anything at all like that. She's kind of my girl Friday. But when she gets that file, she introduces herself, tells them exactly when she'll, they'll be hearing from her, explains, sets an expectation that sometimes it will be a couple of days before we really get good, actionable feedback for you, but we're doing our best and you can always reach out. So once she has that, Sue, who is my pit bull closing manager, looks over that file. She's looking at Everything, including the seller's disclosure, to see if there are any errors or uh, omissions that are much better addressed at the very beginning of a listing than when we're under contract and trying to get closed. So she looks um, if if our listing says they have new carpet, she's like we're going to need a lien waiver. You know, she's going to look at everything that'll take away speed bumps between contract and close, and then the file comes back to me. When I get the file, and this can be in the process of just a day or so, when I have the file, um, I'm going to enter that house as its own search and set it up with the seller so they know that um, every time something comes on in their market or changes price or whatever, they're going to be in step with we, me. We both know what's going on in their market, and then I send them An email that includes an attachment of our eight-page residential contract. And in my email, I say, you know, when you get an offer, the only thing you're going to care about is price and when does it close. There's actually eight pages to this uh, process, and I'm sending it to you now so you can be familiar with it when I bring you an offer. So after that, we're up and running. So we're marketing it. We're managing the listing. Sue will take that file when we're under contract and get get through inspections and coordinate with the title company and set everything up for that closing. On the buyer side, I have two of the world's greatest buyer agents. They both right now happen to be men, which is different because women are very intuitive usually and they make great buyer's agents. But right now, I happen to and have had for some time two excellent, excellent guys that are buyer agents. The advantage to that is that when you have a pop-up showing, somebody calls on one of my listings and it's in Timbuktu and it's almost dark and somebody wants to see it, I'm more comfortable, frankly, sending a guy to meet a stranger than I am a girl. So for now that's working fine. Um, both of those buyers' agents are fabulous, but like most buyer agents, they are not paperwork is not their strength, um, And working a buyer through inspections to closing takes a little more time than working a seller through inspections to closing, just because somebody needs to, if nothing else, attend that in three or four-hour inspection. So I have a closing manager for both of those buyers' agents. And Peggy processes all of that, makes sure that uh, the file is complete, that they're hitting all their deadlines, negotiates them through the inspection, and uh, then hands that file back to the buyer agent for closing.
0: Sounds like you have a team of seven. Let me make sure I got this right. You have one marketing manager, one listing manager, two closing managers, one for buyer, one for seller, two buyer specialists, and one team leader. That's you. You are a very productive team. If I did my math right, I think you're at 28 closings per team member and 67 closings per agent.
1: That's probably about right. Mm -hmm.
0: Wow, that's, that's pretty fantastic. Are all the people on
1: your team licensed? Everyone is licensed. Everyone, I am, I I know my strengths, but I know my weaknesses. I am not great with a brand new agent. I just don't have the patience. I think they should intrinsically know everything I know without me having to mention it to them. <laughs> so uh, everybody on my team probably has an absolute minimum of five years of real estate business. I tell my clients sometimes, sometimes I think the only thing I really do is hire extremely well because I have folks that have a lot of experience. Frankly, some of them are way smarter than I am and they all have real... Really big good hearts and smarts so um, they're all really good at what they do the reason that's important to me is that if I'm spending 50 or 60 hours a week at something I want to do it with people that are good at what they do and don't bring trauma and drama to my office uh, know how to have fun and are happy so when you mentioned earlier about disc I Disc folks before I hire them. My marketing manager probably does not know how to open an Excel spreadsheet. My closing managers probably sleep with an Excel spreadsheet under their pillow every night, and they're very detail-oriented. So I really believe that if you put somebody at a job that they're good at and that is is appropriate to their skill set and their personality that they are more productive and happier and that makes this entire team more productive and happier.
0: You mentioned that all these people are experienced at least five years with a license. Where did you find these folks?
1: Let's see. Some of them come knocking on, a lot of people come knocking on my door, but that's not necessarily the best hire. I I think I do better when I see somebody that's really good at what they do, and I lure them. (laughs) So, uh, for instance, Dan, one of my buyer's agents, I met him at a company paintball event. So we were shooting each other with paintballs, but I just really liked him and I thought he was great. He was working as a buyer agent for somebody else that had a team and I just stayed in touch and I didn't go yank him from someone else. But when there were changes being made within that team and offices and whatnot, that's when I reached out because I saw that might be a good opportunity. He's very loyal, which is a great quality. So it probably it took me 30 or 60 days to get him on board, but I identified that he had the kind of talent I liked. I waited for the right opportunity, and then I just, I really respected that he was loyal and that it was for, hard for him to turn his back on, on something else, even though it really wasn't working for him. So when I see somebody and I know they're good, I kind of put them in the back of my head. Because you almost always have to have a plan B, nothing as much as we like it is going to stay the same forever, so almost for every position, I should always have in my head, okay, if they decided to move to Florida tomorrow, what am I going to do? And I should have a couple of candidates in my head that I would be thinking about
0: you 're with Cola Banker. is that a large office that you 're at? are there are a lot of agents there
1: i 'm in an office of about a hundred in St. Louis, my company has fourteen hundred agents and probably about twenty offices so uh, and we 're number one in this market so yes there's a lot however, once I went went looking at somebody that was a relatively new agent, but I could see she was going to be a shining star, and she was in my office, so I visited with her about future opportunities on my team. And my broker, who is fabulous, was like, Colleen, I worked really hard to get her. Please don't take her away. <laughs> so I understood that. So I try to respect that.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was going to be my question. Are, are a lot of people on your team coming from your office, you know, they're kind of in your, your sphere of influence. They're in your network, you're seeing them around you, and you're, you're able to spot the talent?
1: Not so much out of my office is just people that I interact with. Everybody on my team knows that. Uh, my closing managers, they work a lot with buyer agents or, or agents that aren't a team, just a single agent, so that they know that if they're working with somebody that they think would be a really good fit, they'll let me know and maybe I'll just talk to them after that closing takes place and tell them we really appreciated working with them. If, there's, you know, if they ever want to visit, visit. So the team is kind of on the prowl and, and know that we're always looking for somebody who might be a good fit for us.
0: You mentioned you have the the buyer specialist. A lot of people listening are thinking about bringing in buyer specialists. And one of the the hang-ups they have or confusions is compensation. Would you mind telling us how you compensate your buyer agents?
1: It really varies because different people have different production levels different people need maybe a little more hand-holding my top buyer agent um, with Coal Banker we have a split and a bonus program so um, that buyer agent does buy himself probably 20 million dollars worth of business and he brings me good listings that he takes nothing from along the way when he picks up a buyer here or there if they've got a house to sell so he makes 100% percent of the initial split and fifty percent of the bonus. So I'm really not getting much out of out of him but I get a lot of listings and it's no touch. I'm I have income and I just support him. Um, he pays out of his commission, the uh, closing manager. So he supports his own closing manager. I certainly give him leads. I make maybe 20% of the commission, total commission off of that, but $20 million worth of volume and probably another $10 million worth of listings um, in a good year for him is worth that. And Um, I have a huge amount of respect for him. When you have somebody that's a really high producer, you have to compensate them or they're not going to stick with you, no matter how much they like you, sooner or later they've got bills to pay. Um, I have another buyer, uh, a new buyer agent will take, um, uh, again, there is a split between myself and Cobalt Banker of what I get. That buyer agent is going to take 70%. I'm going to take 30 and they're again going to support that closing manager by giving her a, a flat fee out of their commission. So um, they will start at that 70%. Um, after a year, if they're doing a minimum of five or six million dollars minimum, uh, I might take that up and over a couple of years' time, take them to 100% of that initial commission before bonus. They'll pay their their uh, closing manager, and I will have the the bonus commission off of that. So um, if you were looking at a, an office that did not do a bonus and just had, you know, if I was making 3% off of every deal, that uh, most agents would probably take 50% of that.
0: A couple quick questions. Not everybody understands the, the arrangement with Colwell. The bonus commission, what basically is that? Is is it a percentage? Uh, is it a flat fee? It's a
1: percentage of, at the end of the month, my, my gross commissions, I'm bonused on. And that bonus is really well north of 50% of that initial commission.
0: For these folks, these buyer agents, they, they help support the closing manager by paying a flat fee per closing. What fee did you come up with? What's the dollar amount?
1: Um, it is 450, which probably you could pay less. But Peggy is seamless. She is that closing manager that if she comes in my door with a problem, God won't be able to solve it because everything else she takes care of. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so she really knows her stuff. She's she's a, a high level, high service person. She she sounds tenacious. She'll knock it out. And the buyers
1: love her, and that is great for that repeat business down the road.
0: On your team, what do you do as far as keeping all these folks together and moving in the right direction? Do you have a, a weekly meeting or any kind of thing that you get together, or are you just so close to one another that you don't do that?
1: No, we have a weekly meeting. Our office meeting is on Tuesday morning. Wednesday morning, we sit down as a group. My closing managers go over every transaction, where they are, what contingencies are outstanding, any speed bumps they have. And that's helpful because there's more heads in that room, and maybe we can tackle a problem if we're all talking about it. Then once the closing managers have gone over those, uh, my marketing manager just gives me an overview of what's coming on this week and where she is in terms of photos. And Staging and that sort of thing. Then we roll through our list of active listings. And for each listing, we're looking at uh, the showing activity over the past week, what kind of feedback we're getting, whether there's anything new on the market that's competing with us or something that's sold and it should have been us and why wasn't it us and what are we going to do about it. So we cover everything that's in process. We cover active listings. And then I talk about what I have in the pipeline so that the buyer's agent are aware of what's coming on the market say in the next two to three weeks and they let in turn let us know the buyers they're working with that they if they have a particular need and then I'll go back through maybe my older files of visits or conversations I've had with people to see if we can match make somebody that way so we cover all of that and then I really do try every week to do something that is outside of that nuts and bolts of what we're doing here and it might be um, okay we all need to go to a cardinal game let's pick a date what's a good date for everybody Caroline go make that happen. Or maybe it is um, uh, a book that I've read um, or a book that I've given somebody else to read that talks about whether it's goal setting or living a peaceful life or um, anything like that. You know, I'll have just a short little five-minute discussion on something. Maybe it's phone etiquette you know, this is the way we always answer the phone and always at the end of a conversation ask if there's anything else you can do for somebody. You just have to remind people of little things like that. And then at the end of that, I'll just say, okay, it's an open season. What else is going on? Sometimes a closing manager has an idea of what we could do earlier in a, in a listing to keep her from having to address something at closing or whatever, but it's just kind of an open form for everybody to share. And we do that every Wednesday, Um, but it only takes about maybe 40 minutes because everybody has work to do, but it's important.
0: Well, to wrap up this section on teams, if there was an agent out there listening and they were just about to start putting together a team, what's the most important thing that they should know or think about?
1: Oh, there's probably half a dozen. So if I had to whittle it down to one, I would say that take some time. Think about your strengths and your weaknesses and hire to your weaknesses so that if it's paperwork, if it's follow-up, whatever it is, think about what you're really good at and look at that higher as a way to free yourself to do more of what you're good at and take some of the stuff that you don't enjoy or you're not good at, take that off of your plate and you will really start to soar.
0: Are you profitable?
1: Yeah, I am.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Would you mind disclosing to us what your profit margin is?
1: I would say probably my total expenses run about 30%, including compensation.
0: So you're somewhere around 70% profit margin? Mm Mm-hmm. 70% profit margin. You are in production. I should have asked you another question that, that plays into this, and that is, how many of these transactions, the 202 last year, how many of those are you? Are, how many are you closing?
1: Last year, if it was, what, 202, probably a little over half of them.
0: So just over 100 closings are yours, and that's helping to really pump up that profit margin.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: What drives you?
1: I actually tell sellers that they should ask that question when they're interviewing an agent. I just think it'll help them understand if they're hiring who they think they're hiring. What drives me is I'll go way back. I'm a good little Catholic schoolgirl, so I have a lot of good Catholic guilt. So I really, really want to do a good job at everything I do. I am a confessed people pleaser. So the hard parts of this job sometimes for me are pushing back. But I've learned how to do that over the years. What drives me is... Doing the very best I can every time I do it, regardless of whether it's something in real estate or something in my personal life. I really have a belief that there's no reason to do it unless you're going to do it the best you can. And that is something that I think my whole team ascribes to. I really believe that if we do a good job, everything else and all those statistics take care of themselves.
0: Why have you been so successful?
1: I think success breeds success and in real estate, especially for somebody that's new to the business. My husband and I was also in sales when we were young, there were probably a good five or 10 years where we were both a hundred percent commission, both of us. So there were a lot of days where we'd both come home and look at each other and say, so just sell something. <laughs> so, um, so, um, what As we built our businesses and became successful, um, what we really decided and what I tell people that consider any kind of sales, and my husband says the same, is that it is a fabulous thing to do, but it is three years of you taking care of the business, and if you do it right, after that three years, that business will take care of you and take care of it in more ways than you could imagine. So um, it is about investing early on in learning your trade and doing the best you can for every person you work with and that over time will lead you forward. I also think it's important and a lot of people majority of people never get out of their own little sandbox and go somewhere else to learn how people do what they do. I try to twice a year get out of Missouri and go somewhere far away where a bunch of really smart, really successful real estate agents are and listen to what they have to say and share with them because you don't have to invent the wheel but everybody has so many vendors calling them about buy this, buy that. This will be the easy way to really, you'll have a great ROI and you'll have thousands of clients. But yeah, I get those calls every day. If I go to a seminar or meet with a group of agents, I can listen to what they're already doing and what's already working and bring it home and plug it in and do it without reinventing the wheel. And that's really important for somebody that wants to grow their business.
0: Well, Colleen, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Check their savings
1: account. <laughs> Make sure they have some <laughs> money to invest in themselves and into their business. I would say, think about what all the different parts of this business You can cold call, you can hold open houses, you can door knock, you can do all kinds of different ways to go after business. Which one do you think you'd be best at and go do that? Just like my husband, no fear of cold calling, he'll cold call all day long and convert anybody to anything. But I just, my heart beats too fast and, and I start sweating. And so I'll go to an open house so I can be face-to-face with people and interview people to be my clients. Um, think about what you enjoy and what you're good at and go straight there and do it and show up every day.
0: Colleen, let me ask you real quickly about that. You've had a lot of success with open houses. What's the key to a successful open house?
1: Well, it really depends on who walks through the door, doesn't it? Because some days nobody walks through the door. But I look at it as I would look if I was walking into a car dealer or a department store and I think about the salespeople and how different they all are and I think about who is successful at selling me something. And those folks are the people that ask a lot of questions and really know their product. So that's really important. Um, I see that open house is totally about rapport building and establishing the beginnings of a relationship. And I don't ask for business. I don't don't slam them down at the table with a contract in front of them. I'm just going to get to know them and then follow up the next day and the next week.
0: Well, Colleen, do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable?
1: Absolutely. I think I learned more from listening to Howard Brinton's star tapes than anything else in my whole life. Every month, he would interview a different star, and they would talk about their marketing and their philosophy and their team and Every month, you hear, even if it's one, two, or three things, instead of going, well, that sounded good, if you will make a commitment to do one, two, or three things that you learn, you will really find a lot more success. And success means you'll enjoy what you're doing.
0: Well, Colleen, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners?
1: I stand up every year, and they have like all the top agents at our awards banquet, and I kind of look to the left of me and to the right of me, and I see 10 people that are really good at selling homes, and it's amazing to me every year how different they all are. Some are very detail-oriented. Some are, frankly, party animals. Some um, are just good souls, but there's so many. Many different people, and and that's what I find fascinating is that there is a way to make a good living, be successful, and really accomplish something. Um, and it doesn't really matter who you are. I mean, there's people that were waiting tables three years ago that are are just having a blast and hugely successful. Um, I would say that the common denominator is everybody. It doesn't just come to you. You work at it. You you show up every day and you work.
0: Well, Colleen, you showed up every day. You worked at it and it's paid off. You proved that slow and steady can win the race. Real estate is a marathon, not a sprint. You learned early that cold calling was not your strong suit. So you pulled prospects to you through open houses and changed the mental power dynamic by interviewing them for the job of being your new client. You continue to draw clients to you with your two annual past client parties. You built a very productive team that averages 28 closings per member and 67 closings per year. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who Still loves real estate after 33 years and sold 138 homes last year. Find out who she is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.